George Russell scores his maiden Grand Prix victory in Sao Paulo ahead of teammate Lewis Hamilton in an unexpectedly dominant weekend for Mercedes. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato and this is round 21, the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. It took 21 rounds, but Mercedes is finally a winner again. The sprint format in Brazil nicely played into Mercedes' hands. The W13 rolled out of the garage for the sole representative Friday practice session right in its operating window, whereas both Red Bull Racing and Ferrari struggled to hit the sweet spot in that one hour before qualifying. It was the foundation on which Mercedes built a dominant weekend, with George Russell as its spearhead. Russell beat Max Verstappen in the sprint and then Lewis Hamilton in the Grand Prix to formally announce his arrival at the front of Formula One, and to confirm Mercedes is on the right track as it seeks to recover from its woeful season. To debrief Mercedes first, win of the year, I'm joined by Autosport Grand Prix editor, Alex Kalanorkas. Alex, welcome to the Strategy Report. Hi, Michael. Yes, thank you very much for having me on. It's uh, yeah, it's a real honour. And uh, as we've noted before we hit recording, um, massive time difference for from from you in Melbourne and me in London in the UK. So I'm embracing what I imagine is uh, will be fully approved on an Australian podcast. And as it's eight thirty in the evening, having a beer while you're having having some tea in the morning. Well, you know, it maybe isn't as well internationally known, but when Daniel Ricciardo won his first race in Canada in 2014, around about the same time zone as Brazil, Alan. Jones encouraged all of us to have a beer at six in the morning. So you're very much within the Alan Jones beer o'clock window, Excellent. and I think we can we could accept that one. And this was a similar time zone race as well, the Brazilian Grand Prix in Australia anyway. Well, everywhere. Time is the same everywhere around the world, really, isn't it? Uh, but uniquely or distinctly this season, the third sprint weekend of the year, sixth so far, and next year we're going to double that with another six. These were supposed to be trials, uh, in a way anyway, to see if they were going to work. I suppose logistically they've worked. But have we got the sense we really learnt that much about how sprints uh, are working on the weekend and acting on that when we double them next year? Or are we just expanding it and sort of seeing how we go? I think with the expanding it thing, it's more about money. I would say uh, more, more, more related to, to to the FIA and and, and FOM and their ongoing, uh, not necessarily seeing eye to eye on everything. Mm. Um, but with with the sprint, I think um, yeah. What, what's interesting is that first of all, these are still experiments, and it's something that drives me a little bit mad because mm-hmm. I think if you're not going to have them at every round, they shouldn't be worth world championship points. If they, if mm. they if, because there already is like a sporting reward right set in the grid for Sunday that it now seems may change anyway in the future because F1 seems more intent now to rather than have uh, basically have the sprint as a standalone. So whoever tops qualifying, for example, as I'm sure we'll get onto Kevin Magnussen in Brazil, he would start on pole position for both races and that would make the sprint more of uh, basically that it was countering what Max Verstappen was saying ahead of the weekend, which is after the first few laps, everyone just sits in the same position because they don't want to risk, you know, losing their place on the grid for the Grand Prix. So mm-hmm. the point that I think the thinking is m- make them have something a bit more to fight about in the sprint race. Um, but it's kind of like, it, it, it's, it's just bad timing. So it was almost unlucky for F1 because I think that was the best sprint race of the six yeah. so far. But I also don't think it was necessarily because of the sprint that that happened. I think mm-hmm. that it was one of those weird things where Magnussen wouldn't have been on pole without the sprint but the sprint wasn't necessarily the reason Magnussen was on pole it was more to do with the rain and the timing of the red flag and everything in Q3 so yeah it's still not and it's still not universally loved it still feels a bit gimmicky bit weird 
but there are more coming, so I guess we've just got to get used to them. <laughs> Good warning. Yeah, I think it is something that we'll all have to adjust to. It'll be interesting to see how that format changes. One notable difference, and this really played a role in the weekend you've already touched on, is that it does shake up the way we build up to a Grand Prix. One of the most important parts is that we essentially divide by one-third the amount of practice time. Yes, we still have two sessions, but only one of them is before Parc Ferme comes into effect. Considering we had Brazil in, in Brazil, all three days were pretty different climatically. We had, as you said, that kind of rain in qualifying, more mild Saturday, and then relatively warm Sunday. How much of an effect did this sprint format have on what we ultimately saw in this Grand Prix? Yeah, I think actually, um, again by accident rather than by design although you could you could i suppose you could say it's by design mm. i think it had a big impact on what happened it's specifically with the red bull team uh christian horn has come out and said look it looks like we just got our setup wrong for nailing the tire degradation over a race stint and red bull does have a bit of form for this i always think back to uh, not you know unhelpfully not exactly well very very different conditions at the turkey 2020 turkish grand prix where valtteri bottas not a noted wet weather specialist drove away from max verstappen who is a noted wet weather specialist <laughs> Uh, sorry, and that's the, sorry, that's the 2021 Turkish Grand Prix, not 2020. That was the, obviously wet, but a totally different race. Anyway, um, there, it was just Red Bull got their sums wrong on the tyres. And I think that's happened again here. And when you don't have those extra practice sessions, I know there is the FPT session, but it's totally meaningless because you can't change anything. I think that it opens the possibility of this happening. And from what Red Bull is saying, from what we saw in the sprint race in particular, it got its sums wrong. However, I do wonder whether there was also a tactical element in Verstappen taking the medium tyres at the start of the sprint. I think maybe they thought, right, let's make sure we have an extra set of softs for the race because we know that's where the points are and we know Max is in the best car and when he's got that, you know, and he's the best driver of the season and he's going to be able to drive away once he's cleared Kevin Magnussen. As it turned out, that didn't happen. And then it really backfired for a Red Bull in the race when he was caught in the pack. And we'll also talk about how Perez wasn't given that second set of softs as well by a different strategy a little bit later on. So to wrap up this idea of the sprint format, though, you mentioned the FP2 session. That's sort of, to my mind anyway, kind of the weakness of this format. I'm certainly a big fan of the, the reduced practice time. And the bonus is that I guess we get another competitive session, even if the sprint is a bit... You know, up until now, it has been a little bit of an ordinary spectacle, but I guess we did get a good one in in Brazil. What is, to your mind, the solution here? Is there uh, should we be moving Park Ferme later, as has kind of been suggested? But then, what is the point of Park Ferme if we move it to only just before the race? Like, is there a perfect balance we can strike? Well, rather unhelpfully, <laughs> I don't have a solution for you because I'm actually okay with the format of the how the weekend is arranged mm. with the current sprint format. I know that FP2 becomes totally meaningless and it's just them driving around and, oh, isn't this this big ordeal? Well, I, I don't think it is, actually. I think if you've paid hundreds of pounds, hundreds of dollars for a Grand Prix ticket, you expect to see the cars on the track, right? And I think, you know, they're not going full chat as they were, were in qualifying and, as, you know, as the, as, the close, as the close racing will be, hopefully, in the races. But I think, I still think you need that extra element on a Grand Prix weekend. And I think... With the benefit or the potential benefit of what we saw happening with Red Bull with just having one practice session, I think that's a price to pay. Just having this slightly meaningless session, Logan Sargent got in at Williams, made that a little bit interesting. I can see the frustration, but I also just think sometimes Formula One fans, Formula One media, I know from even some of my colleagues get very frustrated with this meaningless FPT session, but... I think it's all right. It's fair enough. Look, it's a perfectly acceptable uh, position, and we'll have six of them next year, so we'll be we'll be all right. And after those, I'll be sick of the FPT sessions. 
No doubt. Well, it's still a trial. Good news is still a trial. So <laughs> nothing's in stone. Uh, there's presumably a feedback box somewhere at FOM headquarters or FI headquarters. We can pop something in there. Uh, this all uh, proceeded or led into qualifying. Well, one practice decision led into qualifying. Maybe that one practice decision had a bit of an effect in qualifying, but really it was down to the weather, wasn't it? And we saw Kevin Magnuson getting the job done at the pointy end or nearly the pointy end of Q3, I guess. We didn't get to the pointy end. The rain was too heavy. How important a moment is this for Haas? Because this really was a joint team driver effort. It's tempting to believe it was circumstance only, and that, of course, played a part. But how big a moment was this for that operation? Oh, huge. Absolutely huge. You think of the... No, before we even get to 2022, just think of the years that have led up to this. You've had the rich energy debacle, mm. Gene Haas thinking, do I even want to be in Formula One? All those jobs put at risk by the, by, you know, by the potential of the team closing. And then losing the sponsor... The Mazepin sponsorship, losing Mazepin himself, not the greatest loss. And obviously, you know, it's uh, the consequences of the war in Ukraine must be must must be severe, given how how awful it is. So, um, you know, fair enough there. Great story of Magnussen coming back, um, and it's just yeah. The, the, the only thing with the sort of circumstances is that he did benefit significantly from Haas being right at the far end of the pit lane, mm. which is a result of the 2021 being so bad because they opted not to develop the car right. So that's the only thing I say there. That side, he nailed it. You know, it was like, go out, deliver this lap on softs. You could see how dark it was getting at the end of Q3. The rain was coming. For Ferrari were right. They were just also at the same time very wrong to send Charles Leclerc out on the intermediates. And there's that amazing shot of him looking in his mirror. You can just see him working out. Hang on a minute. I'm the only one in to see. This is appalling. And also earlier on in qualifying, when I think they were changing from the intermediates, they were certainly uh, um, sort of dilly-dallying about putting new softs on his car. He sits there for nearly a minute while they sort of argue about, or sort of, well, mm. they're probably not arguing, but they're probably just looking to get the tyres right. And he's just like, what's going on? It's just more evidence of, uh, yeah, strategy shambles at Ferrari. But yeah, coming back to Haas, it, it's a really likeable team. Like, you know, being in the paddock, you just get a really good vibe from the race operation. I think um, their PR department as well do an excellent job. I always think to, to the uh, the 2020 Bahrain Grand Prix and Roman Grosjean's awful crash mm-hmm. and how well they dealt with that, you know, keeping everybody informed, even though it was during the COVID bubbles and people couldn't get in the paddock and couldn't, you know, just see what was going on themselves. Really, really difficult circumstances, really handled that well. And it's just a great, it's just a great result because Haas is still a team and I think we'll still continue to be the case. I don't see them necessarily getting podiums and wins unless something shocking happens. I know the cost cap, now that they've got this MoneyGram uh, sponsorship, they're saying they can operate at the cost cap. That's brilliant. But they're still, you know, Alpine and McLaren are now saying they're operating at the cost cap and they're nowhere near this year at least. So it's going to be tricky. So I think it's really a result to savour. But what was also really nice was that it was just a bit of a case of, oh my, oh come on, they're still four races to go Verstappen's wrapped up the season what's the point that sort of vibe not one I necessarily agree with but you could sort of sense it and you know to be fair it comes from a, a place of people are just exhausted with a long season working in the paddock even fans I think F1 is reaching saturation point with the number of races so to have that underdog story yeah great for Formula 1 and just just great to enjoy and, and to watch Mm, and great that we saw it through just excellent execution. You know, getting the teaser, the pit lane position helped, but getting the timing right and Magnussen pulling off the lap perfectly as well. It was no fluke. They got it all absolutely spot on. It's great when you do see small teams uh, nail that. It's like a reminder when the opportunity uh, arises that all these teams are quite good, but the cars are not always there to compete. Let's compare that to Ferrari, though. You mentioned it there. Only team that went out on, on uh, Inters at the end of Q3. Obviously did not work for them. 
is and you sort of touched on it there as well. This it's been a long running story for Ferrari, hasn't it? In fact, it's been most of. I bet, I bet if you chopped up all of our episodes and did a percentage analysis on them, there'd be a lot of Ferrari chat this year. There'd be a lot of Ferrari chat. And they've often said, you know, they're dealt with a bit harshly because they're Ferrari, and, and sometimes it's tempting to believe that. Are we too harsh on Ferrari in this instance in Brazil for going out on Inters when, as you say, you know, maybe they were a minute out, maybe they were one minute wrong in the call, or was it just, I mean, they were the only one who made that call? No, no I, I, think, I think it's deserved criticism <laughs> on this occasion because, first of all, they split the strategy mm. with the cars, so it just, just seemed even odder to have one car out on the right tyres and one on the wrong one. But it's just, if there's a chance to get one lap in, You've got to send the cars. You've got to send the cars out on, on on softs as everybody else did, and I think that the risk reward, reward ratio is just too high there. If you get that one lap in as Magnussen did, Verstappen behind him, Russell, I know he had obviously his spin when the rain was starting to come down more, and, and and the Mercedes still being a bit of a an unpredictable package. But yeah, I think Ferrari got a cop a lot of <laughs> a lot of criticism for this one. That said, they have made some better calls recently. You know, in Monza, they did everything right. Mm. People being like, oh, why, you know, why did they pit under the VSC? It's like, well, do you know what? That Red Bull package is so much faster now. They had to bank the free lap time. And I think that's absolutely, um, you know, a good decision there. Singapore, in hindsight, I came away thinking, actually, hang on a minute. Why did they try and undercut in a wet, slippery race? Like, the tyres were always going to take an age to warm up. The better way of trying to jump Perez would have been to stay out longer with Leclerc and then just see if he could hold on. With the you know with the tire warm up coming up coming up up to temperature and everything, but that that's with hindsight's benefit. It wasn't necessarily a big error there, but it's just a bit like oh, we sort of finally thought Ferrari was was turning a corner, and it didn't and it didn't come out to play. And, I, and as, as I'm sure we're going to chat about later on in in the in the actual Grand Prix, they made a big strategy decision to start on the mediums and everybody else was on the softs. But as again we'll come on to, circumstances totally meant that we never got to sort of how that would play out. Let's have a brief look at the sprint now because that was uh, the the best and uh, the best we saw of Magnussen ultimately after qualifying. Uh, dropped down to eighth and then obviously the start of the race was wiped out. And this became more interesting for the sake of Mercedes versus Red Bull Racing. Max Verstappen seemed, why well, he was leading, seemed like this was just going to be another Verstappen sprint win. Was overhauled by George Russell. Now, we've mentioned already this idea that maybe Red Bull was starting to get its sums wrong here, maybe for a lack of practice, a little bit of strategy in there as well to, to use the mediums rather than the softs. How much, and this, I guess, extends to a question for the race as well, how much was this Red Bull getting it wrong compared to Mercedes just getting it right this weekend? I, th- I think I think it's both. I think, I think Red Bull got it wrong and Mercedes got it right. And I think that it's been coming on for a while. That update package that they brought in Austin, you know, I asked this uh, to a team member the other day, actually. It's like, think of the big upgrade package that came to Spain. That was aimed at fixing the car. Took them a while to, you know, to unlock everything and get it right. Austin was aimed at making it faster. And with Ferrari choosing not to develop its car anymore, or, well, Mattia Bonotto says they hit the cost cap, so that's the reason why there's been no updates. It has brought Mercedes into play. They were too far away in Austin that that, that weekend still. Mexico, I think they, they admit now they got the, the strategy wrong in terms of starting on the mediums. They could have run longer and, and pressurised Verstappen at the end with the softs. But here, they nailed the setup. The car, I don't think, necessarily felt great to the drivers in practice, but it came to them throughout the rest of the weekend. And the conditions really helped as well. As you say, the, 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 you know, the, the, not, it wasn't quite inclement weather, but it was just swinging around a little bit. The cooler conditions on the Saturday definitely, definitely helped them. And again, it, that sort of adds to the Red Bull just being knocked off out of their sweet spot, you know, not necessarily having the setup right to to make sure the tyres were, were were able to be preserved. And Verstappen said he just ate through them. He just said, you know, they were just, it was just almost had no chance to win it. Um, 
but also Russell just just picked his moments. You know, he, it took him a good three laps, a good few goes to get past what we know can be a very difficult driver to pass in Max Verstappen. But Russell, who's had a he's had a pretty poor run of races, amazing start to the season. But even he, you know, obviously he would own up to to to, to Singapore and Austin and things like that being you know not good at all. He was just on it. I, I spoke to him on Thursday. He just seemed to be in a very good place. Uh, don't particularly know why, but he did, you know, sort of his answers to his questions were sort of, you got the sense that he'd had a bit of reflection on things that had gone wrong and maybe a little bit of feedback because, you know, some of his team radio comments can come across as a bit sort of, entitled is probably the wrong word, but it's just a bit like, oh, whoa, George, hang on a minute, step back a, a little bit there. But it sort of just reflects, he's, he is a very demanding driver and he's got an intense personality. And I think that's just that coming through under the incredible pressure and the the, the forces being exert, exerted on F1 drivers, right? Just got the sense. I just got the sense from chatting to him that he just had reflected on that, heard a few things, taken a step back, and whatever whatever happened, it worked. It, it looked like it wasn't going to work after he had the off in qualifying. But as I said, I think that's more to do with the Mercedes package is better. It's not porpoising, but it's still bouncing and it's still a little bit unpredictable. I and mean, they can't engineer it into an exact sweet spot, especially with you know you're thinking like perfect balance. They're still well away from that. That caught him out, and then he had that really embarrassing spin. But after that, everything went right, and everything that every you know every challenge that was that was set before him, he seemed to ace them. Really pleased as well. He could turn the sprint win into the victory, not because I have any particular soft spot for him, just purely from the statistical position that we didn't have to be talking about him still not having his first win, despite having a win of some description. And also, it's a new winner, and we can always get around that, can't we? The conversion on Grand Prix day was very solid, as you said, saw off all challenges, two restarts, the race start, obviously, uh, Lewis Hamilton behind him at the end, but sort of inescapable as well as in that, that opening stanza of the race, you know, Hamilton was crashed out, Verstappen was crashed out, Charles Leclerc was crashed out, Carl Sainz had that uh, visor tear off in his brakes, and then Sergio Perez attempted to undercut him, a little bit ambitious nonetheless, but then got stuck in traffic anyway. Should he have been put under more pressure in this race? Is the race we ended up getting actually not even close to how good we should have expected this Grand Prix to be? Oh, 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 without a doubt, without a doubt. I think that the incidents that happened made the race very entertaining because of course it was Verstappen and Hamilton colliding and oh 2021 all over again don't I, take us back there <laughs> I cheered when it happened not because I care which 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 either driver comes off best or worst but just because it happened I really like it when, inter- when interesting things like that happen it's absolutely fascinating and the fact that neither one of them gave mm. an inch just tells you everything about their mindsets first of all Verstappen he hasn't changed from 2021 mm. he is still when the pressure's really on against the best of the best he's just unyielding and Hamilton especially now that he doesn't have a, a championship to consider you know he's not he was turning out of contact early in 2021 mm-hmm. because he was thinking of the long game but with that out of the window there's no way he was letting Verstappen put any other kind of marker down on him uh, and it was yeah it was uh, it was uh, it was it was quite the quite the incident very reminiscent actually I think Verstappen might reflect on uh, that bizarre crash with Esteban Ocon a few years ago where mm. he was in the Hamilton position and Ocon was in the Verstappen position of Sunday. Uh, but anyway, that was, that was a different kind of contro- controversy, obviously, because of Max, uh, sorry, for, because of uh, Ocon unlapping on, on himself. But yeah, that takes the two, the two biggest threats to Russell's win away, doesn't it? Because I think, I, I still believe even with this degradation issue that he would have been a bigger threat than Perez. 2022 has just blown away this, idea that Perez is the is the tire whisperer at Red Bull it's Verstappen is an absolute master at it and I think he would have put Russell under a lot more pressure the same though is said of Hamilton I think that 
if if they had been running one, two, three, Russell, Hamilton, Verstappen, yeah, Russell would really, really have been under pressure. But once they were gone, he 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 was pulling away from Perez. It was a few tenths every lap, but he had him in his pocket. Red Bull did try what they could with the undercut, which was quite powerful here. We saw that, you know, down in down in the pack, Valtteri Bottas uh, undercutting ahead of of uh, uh, Sebastian Vettel, Aston Martin. But Red Bull, uh, sorry, but Mercedes by that point, Russell built enough of a gap they could cover him, and then it was all about right. How do we get Hamilton back past Perez? I did wonder whether the once Perez stopped for a second time and Mercedes instantly brought Hamilton in. I did wonder whether that was like, oh, we we're definitely going to beat Perez, and also that. That removes any, any sort of late race uh, threat of Hamilton coming up against Russell. But from what I saw of the, it was only a few laps before the VSC and then the safety car of that third stint. Russell seemed to have the gap pegged. It wasn't coming down, you know, dramatically or anything like that. But then again, Hamilton is a is a tire is a tire master. Um, but just I was very impressed how Russell soaked up the pressure at the end after that safety car because again, you just got the feeling right. Oh, we've been in before with Hamilton. He'll bide his time a little bit. And then he'll go on the attack right at the end, and it never came off. It was it was it was it was fantastic, but made all the more remarkable by Mercedes later revealing that there was a water leak aboard mm-hmm. Russell's car, which they just didn't tell him about because they were like, <laughs> we just don't want to knock him out of the zone, and if it goes if it goes bang, so what? I quite like that about the team in a way. It was just like right, I'd we rather the car retire than you know have have Russell have another heartbreak after the secure twenty twenty race. But um, but yeah, you're right. He definitely it could have been made and it would have been made harder for him without those crashes and yeah it would have been a different kind of interesting grand prix i think had had the front runners uh, not not essentially just taking each other out like with the, with hamilton and verstappen and also norris and leclerc leclerc gave him so much room lando lando really messed up there getting up on the curve and then knocking the ferrari around um and he was able to recover leclerc that was a great drive somehow uh there wasn't too much damage in the crash and he, he could keep going. The Before we talk about Perez and then, of course, naturally enough about Red Bull, I do want to give one more mention to Ferrari here because it was pretty clear, certainly after the sprint, but even perhaps earlier on, that the only tyre anyone wanted to use was the soft tyres. The only tyre that really seemed like a good one here. Everyone had to use the medium at some point. Some leaned on it more than others, to be fair, but usually drivers just want to get out of the way. Ferrari was one of the few teams to start the race on the medium tyre. Sainz was very eager to get off it, even though his earlier stop was more to do with the brake that was threatening to combust uh, around about lap, lap 17. How do we reflect on that influencing this race and comparing it, for example, to obviously the mistake in qualifying? I actually think it was a, an aggressive call that I quite liked mm. because what you think about Interlagos is lots of safety cars there was always the potential for something going wrong obviously they wouldn't have wanted their cars involved <laughs> as, as, as they were with Leclerc but I think that that would have you know aided the, the pressure of starting on full tanks on that rubber but it would have just it would have got it out of the way and they could have gone aggressive later on uh, and again with the late race safety car if you're on the softs and someone else is on the mediums then you really do stand to gain so I don't I can't I can't really fault Ferrari there other than you know it did run the risk of of what happened to Verstappen in the sprint happening to them very very early on and the other risk was what did happen with Lando Norris just jumping by Leclerc at the start with his, it was a great move from Lando unfortunately that was about as good as his day got uh, but yeah I, I, I think I quite like that call from from Ferrari it's just a real shame we never got to see it play out. And now it may well have backfired on them spectacularly. History this season would suggest it would have done. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I kind of, I, I sort of, I was like, oh, okay, that's bold. And they did it with both cars. So it was something they were obviously 
very keen on and, and was a, and was a clear tactic from them. Any on the soft certainly was a benefit, something that wasn't available to Sergio Perez. This is uh, before we have a crack into these team order situation inevitably because that overshadowed so much of the latter half of this race. Part of the reason why he sunk down the order so far uh, after running as high as second early in the race was because he only had two sets of mediums to use. That sort of goes back to his tyres strategy in the the sprint but also had them used up in practice he entered the race with two sets of hards but no sets of softs how much more than anything else that happened did that sort of stitch up ultimately where his race was going because i guess even had it been a more normal race he still would have had to end those tires and they still wouldn't have been very competitive well again this this goes back to to red bull everything sort of getting away from them in that one practice session i think we saw with mercedes in mexico uh, and and as well in Austin as well, I think um, they didn't. You know, it was their tire choices mm-hmm. early in the weekend. You know, everybody's got the same sets of of, of all the compounds. Um, in uh, you know after COVID, that, that, that hasn't gone back to them being able to pick ahead of the weekend. Right? It was just the usage earlier on really undid Red Bull. It really took. It really sort of backed them into a corner. And yeah, it, it was. It, he was just very. He was. Ve- he was extra unfortunate with the safety car, meaning that cars like science etc could could pit and and go back to the softs and all that but yeah yeah a, a, a sort of a strange own goal from red bull mm. one that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to make not as big an own goal however as the team orders row <laughs> which just makes no sense whatsoever <laughs> well let's uh consider this one because it, it's sort of been talked about in the background for the last couple of weeks ever since max stitched up the championship essentially and the next goal became getting perez second in the title which it was put to me yesterday no one's going to remember that even maybe next year who finished second but red bull's never done it before it does sort of cement the idea that this might be the start of a red bull year i can understand it and perez has obviously never finished that high in the standings either uh there was an opportunity to do this in the sprint i guess if we take a step backwards to possibly swap the positions it was worth only i guess one point at the time they chose not to do that despite a request from from perez in this grand prix seemed more well the team seemed more amenable to it certainly max didn't I, I, we can approach this from a couple of different deci- uh, directions. Let's start, first of all, with this idea that Max says he already told the team he wasn't going to do it. Then coming on the radio and asking him to do it. Should the team have done that to begin with? Did they think they... I mean, how do you read that call? The idea that actually maybe they'd already been told it wasn't going to happen, but really tried to publicly put some pressure on him anyway? So, yeah, this is this is absolutely fascinating. And the reason why I think it's such a big own goal is because the tires are wrapped up and mm-hmm. it runs the risk of demotivating and alienating Perez who has been, I, I think his comments about, oh, I'm critical to Max's two championships are ridiculous. <laughs> Max won this championship, won the 2022 championship by himself. But in 2021, he was absolutely uh, crucial. So, fa- you know, fair enough on that one, Sergio. But th- by doing this, Max runs the risk of Perez not necessarily defending as hard against Lewis Hamilton, say the exact circumstances of Abu Dhabi 2021 and, and other races in 21 were to play out in the future. It just, it seems very, very needless. But yeah, uh, also, with uh, yeah, the, they were never going to spot them around in the sprint race. Not when a, a, an actual grid spot in the in the main race that pays all the points was. Uh, and Max, they, they, I'm sure they still believed was going to win that race uh, on on the Sunday. So I, I don't think that was ever likely on the Saturday. But my reading of especially Max's radio is that I think this goes back to Mexico because it's been it's been reported um, by Eric van Horen, the Dutch uh, journalist from De Telegraph, who's very close to the Verstappen camp. That actually the the whole starting point of this is back in Monaco with suggestions that when Perez crashed in Q3, the suggestion is he did it on purpose. Now we have absolutely no evidence to suggest he did do that. We do know he did crash. And we also know that judging by the sector one times, Verstappen was gonna at the very least get ahead of Perez on the grid, 
probably science too. I personally think Leclerc was untouchable on that day in Monaco in the qualifying session, right? We know the Verstappen camp was furious because Josh Verstappen uh, wrote a blog post essentially <laughs> confirming that. Uh, and just sort of generally the feeling like feeling like Red Bull had let his son down there. But it all went quiet and, you know, there was no more, there was nothing already said about it. Perez played the team game in Baku. He'd already done it in Spain, all of that. But then we get to Mexico, right? The title's sewn up. And what a question that came up again and again and again was, we're in Mexico. We've got these thousands of fans. It's a great market for Red Bull. They're dominating at the moment. Would Max pull over and let Perez go by? And I think they asked him to do it. Like, I have no evidence to support this. It's just, you know, I'm just got my journalist hat on. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about it from 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 how interesting it could have been. But you listen to what he says on the radio. He says, I told you this already. Don't ask me again. So I think they asked him in Mexico. Mm. He said no. And then they didn't because, of course, they wouldn't have necessarily known that they were going to be running one and two on the road in Brazil. Now, if they were, you know, if they were running in order on the road in Brazil, if they were one and two, they definitely wouldn't have asked Max to, 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 to move over and give up a win. But because they were in the pack, I think Red Bull just thought, right, we're, we're going to do it because Ferrari were going to do it. If it wasn't for the Sonoda, the bizarre anomaly of him, the, the system thinking he'd unlapped himself or he had briefly unlapped himself and so not allowing him to register as eligible again to be unlapped, unlap himself. Ferrari were like, yeah, we'd already talked about it. Science says, yeah, if they'd asked me, I would have done it. He is sort of playing the, mm. the he is playing the <laughs> nice guy game there, I think, because he, he he wasn't asked to do it. So it's easy to say, oh yeah, I definitely would have done it once you secure third place. But we had to take him at his word. Anyway, Ferrari were willing to do it with Leclerc, but couldn't because they thought uh, Science might get a penalty for having overtaken Snowder under the safety car. Um, and obviously with Alonso and, and Verstappen threatening. So Red Bulls, you know, they... they it, they are level on points now, and it's 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 definitely a realistic possibility that that Leclerc beats Perez in Abu Dhabi, and we know Red Bull wants to have this one-two in the in the in the in the driver standings for the first time. So, yeah, it it just all felt a bit clumsy. It all felt a bit needless, and again, it just sort of it's like Red Bull have been here before with mm-hmm. Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber in you know multi twenty-one gate back in twenty thirteen. It just seems to not necessarily have the strongest grip on its star drivers it's, it's just a really odd one yeah the power balance is what i think is very interesting here because nothing demonstrates to the team from a driver who's really in control here than blatantly ignoring a team order apparently multiple times he says he's told them before oh yeah so i, I was gonna say on, on the final lap it was multiple times well yes, he'd already well, had it yeah already had it on the penultimate lap and then it's just it's like max let him by let him by now ignore the drs <laughs> let, let check go by let check go by what happened, Max? <laughs> <laughs> but that's and then, but nothing will obviously come from that. You can't imagine Red Bull ever punishing Max Verstappen because he is, as you say, the star driver. He knows as much as the team knows that the team is built around him, and he's the whole point that they are successful at this point of time. Of course, the car is successful in its own right. We should take nothing away from the people who make it, but someone's got to drive it, and that person is Max. The reverse side of this is uh, Sergio said afterwards. He, he's been quite tactical, I think, in what he says at various points this year when he's been disappointed. He says a certain amount without going too far. Certainly gave himself an extra few steps after this one. Said he was disappointed, showed what kind of guy he is, all that kind of stuff. You've all seen the quotes. I What I think is interesting is that he said he found it surprising. Uh, and now whether or not he genuinely does another question, but wouldn't it be naive of him to be surprised given even he must surely know deep down what he's signed up to? Even if he backed himself to beat Max in some version of what's happened in a championship sense even he must have known that he was signing up with a certain expectation oh completely you you would you would expect so especially considering that daniel ricardo 
supposedly one of the motivations for wanting to get out of the Red Bull fold was that he saw that it was already by that point in 2018 Verstappen's squad. And it's it's very hard, even if, you know, obviously everything with Ricardo that's happened since, including this latest, you know, gaffe with Magnussen at the start of the, the Grand Prix has been has been very disappointing and very just almost really weird to see how a driver who gone from such a top level to, mm-hmm. to a lower level now with Ricardo. Even he was like, well, it's just not, it's almost not worth me sticking around here because I just know I'm never going to get, ultimately, if push comes to shove, it's going to be Verstappen, isn't it? And that's, and Red Bull, have, Red Bull have, have shown that to be true. You think everything with Pierre Gasly, with Alex Albon, the car is just a Verstappen car, or at the very least, they're not necessarily too bothered about it only being a Verstappen car or a Verstappen package. And that seems to have carried on even through this uh, this new rules era and, and and everything changing in 2022. You know, we know Perez was happier at the start of the year. Verstappen wasn't. He complained about it. And suddenly enough, all those issues issues were fixed and it and it was Verstappen who was, uh, was enjoying the total dominance with the package. So yeah, it's just it's just such a strange scenario. And I, I, I think, because Max has you know, since come out and said, I will help him in Abu Dhabi, it sort of calmed the waters a little bit. And I think ultimately this will subside, provided there's no investigation from the FIA into these allegations that he crashed on purpose. Mm. Because if there's evidence of that, that has to be done. That's appalling sporting behaviour. Like I said, there is no evidence. It's just these, you know, these these reports in the Dutch media. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're not true. But with, yeah, I just think, I, I just think that, uh, yeah, it, it will subside. But it's just opened, uh, it's opened a fracture in their relationship. I don't think they needed to let happen. Mm. I also like that Max says you'll help in Abu Dhabi, but really mathematically, I can't imagine a circumstance in which that would be required because it's just a matter of who finishes ahead of the other in the battle for second. So it's very nice to say, you know, I mean, theoretically could hold up Leclerc at some point, but I mean, realistically, how likely is that anyway? So, you know, it's, it's well played to say that now when maybe the damage has already been done, but I, I guess we'll see what happens this weekend. We saw a lot of Team Orders drama in this race for one reason or another. Another high-profile one was at Alpine, largely because of what happened in the sprint where the drivers crashed twice, almost three times after the first or second corner. They actually had turned that into quite a good race, despite starting on the grid well down the order. Both delivered points on a day both McLarens retired, almost just about have fully sewn up fourth in the championship now as a result. I thought it was interesting that Alonso and Ocon had quite different strategies in this race. Ocon had a pretty conventional two-stop with the medium tyre in the middle of the stint. Alonso went for three stops and was one of the few drivers who really leaned on that medium tyre and it seemed to work for him. It's... Seems strange considering they started so close that the strategies were too different. Is it too cynical to say this was a great way to keep them apart on track for the race? <laughs> no, I think that's in- entirely appropriate considering <laughs> what happened. Uh, and, and ultimately, it, it didn't. It didn't. It, if that was the case, it didn't pay off, yeah. did it? Because uh, it comes to the safety car, and, and Alonso ends up behind Ocon. You got that that great radio message from him, basically just going, "Whoa, don't don't tell me about this. I'll I'll let him by when I'm ready to let him by, and all that." Was, oh goodness me! Um, but I, I actually think more with Alonso in particular. I think they they were just like, right, there's almost certainly going to be a late race safety car. We know how good he is overtaking. I still maintain Fernando Alonso is one of the best drivers in Formula One. He just needs the car. And I, I think Formula One is much better uh, with him a part of it. Um, I think, yeah, gamble on that late race safety car. It's almost inevitable at this track and see what he can do on the, on the, on the softs at the end. And, it, and he proved it. It was a magnificent, you know, sort of carving his way up the order. Even, the, you know, Ocon did, he let him buy. But if you watch the onboard, Alonso does sort of, he, he, there is half a pass in there <laughs> and Ocon's like oh and now I suddenly find myself out wide at turn 10 okay fine there you go I handed the place back to him no we take him at his word that he let him, let him back by but yeah 
just yeah it was just spice all over the grid even at Aston Martin <laughs> obviously had that ridiculous chop from Lance Stroll in the sprint race across mm. Sebastian Vettel's bows and then late on in the Grand Prix Vettel was asked to move aside for Stroll Stroll in, in the, when it, when that happens he's like oh no he, he seems to have the pace he can try for longer which is very <laughs> strange to hear from Stroll team were like no he's doing it uh, and then Stroll goes off and chases down Valtteri Bottas doesn't get it and then there's a great I've seen a clip on going around social media of Vettel being like oh shame you couldn't have given me the point back uh, which I think people are sort of reading a bit too much into because there was the slight chance that Stroll could have outdragged Bottas to the line and Vettel was a couple of seconds further back but uh, but yeah everywhere there was team orders controversy in that race it is remarkable isn't it at least for most of them well all except Red Bull all the team lineups are changing next year so at least you can say all the steam's being let off but as we've already said how the Red Bull relationship plays out uh, next year is what's going to be really interesting I almost think there's it's almost a curse for Perez at this point that he's got two years on his contract because he can't really freelance next year unless he knows for some reason that his contract can be up. Unless he really did crash in Monaco and it's going to come out eventually, then if he still wants to drive, presumably he's still going to have to play the team game next year. So he's almost snookered either way, isn't he? Well, exactly, exactly. And there's also these rumours about Ricardo maybe signing as a reserve mm. driver at Red Bull. If it if it comes to pass, as we think that Nico Hülkenberg will be announced at Haas, and then Mick Schumacher ends up as Mercedes reserve driver, because we know Ricardo was was talking about getting that deal. The suggestion is that he ends up at Red Bull. And that heaps the pressure on Perez, especially if he's mm. not playing the team game. So yeah, it's like I said, this is just such a such an own goal from Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> the summer the season somehow feels a bit shorter if we consider these races all leading up to something next year, doesn't it? So maybe that's the way we approach all the politics of these last two races. Just one race to go in this season. Alex, thank you so much for joining me to talk about Brazil. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. George Russell and Mercedes had circumstances on their side in Brazil, but that's almost beside the point. An opportunistic win isn't the same as a lucky one, and both team and driver had to go out and take the Sao Paulo Grand Prix for themselves. What this means for 2023 could be more important still, given how much progress Mercedes has made just this season. Thanks very much to Alex Kalanorkas for joining me. The Strategy Report is powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Aminato and I'll be back next week to wrap up the season finale, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix.